0: Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now.
1: Well, it is Star Style time. Hello, Power Partners. This is Cynthia Bryan. I'm your host for the show. And Star Style, Be the Star You Are is brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity. We're coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the Empowerment channel we're here with you every wednesday live from 4 to 5 p.m. pacific and we aim to seed and stimulate and support space for positive meaningful conversations which we definitely need more positivity these days. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. It's getting towards the end of the year, a good time for tax uh, write-offs and tax donations. So consider giving one to Be The Star You Are, which is a 501c3, and visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. starur.org. This is written by Thornton Wilder. We can only be said to be alive in those moments when our hearts are conscious of our treasures. That just always makes me think about how we just need to be so grateful for what we have and not always focusing on what we don't have. So many of us focus on the lack. Well, we have a wonderful show for you today, and I think it's going to be, um, hopefully after this show, you will get some good Z's uh, coming up in segment two from renowned ABC news anchor and correspondent, and also a former insomniac, Diane Macedo. Uh, she has written a very a wonderful book, a practical, proven, surprising solutions for insomnia, snoring, shift work, and more. It's called the Sleep Fix, and we are going to be talking everything about sleep and how we can get more of it, but more quality sleep. So that is coming up. Uh, it is important. We all have to sleep. It's like eating and drinking and. You know, uh, we have to sleep. That's part of being human. So we might as well get some good one. We're also going to be talking about the health of our intestines because it has an important impact on our overall health. Our life code is actually changed by the various active gut bacterias. And we can improve the health of our brains, our organs, our heart, our skin, our bones through some better nutrition and viewing our food as helpful medicine. And I'll be talking about that just momentarily. And then finally, what does it mean to be altruistic? Are you volunteering at a charity? Are you donating to help others? I mean, every individual has the power to change lives for the better. And it is the holidays. And there are individuals and families out there who could really use your simple act of kindness. And now after we've had these incredible storms and those horrible tornadoes in kentucky tennessee and other states there are families without shelter without electricity without food um, and had their whole lives literally destroyed in nanoseconds so there's so much that we can do so i hope that you will um will join in in being altruistic so gut health i really am fascinated by this i just had my my yearly um checkup with my my regular intern my regular doctor my primary care doctor and so it just interests me on how important our intestines are that's the ecosystem known as the microbiome it really affects every system in our body because the journey that your food takes from the first bite that you take um until it breaks down in your stomach with all the acids and enzymes on its way to the digestive tract, it is really an amazing trip. There's so much more going on, though, because the health of your intestine has a dramatic impact on your overall health as well. It's kind of like our teeth. Sometimes, you know, we we take our teeth for granted. We want them to be white. and We want them to be clean. But We tend to forget that if you get infections in your mouth or you get infections in your teeth, it can infect your entire body's health. So your uh, microbiome ecosystem uh, in your gut is equally as important, if not even more so. Gastroenterologists, neuroscientists, and research professors at UCLA have studied the ecosystem inside the gut, which is known as the microbiome, and it comprises trillions of microbes and networks that affect the rest of the body. Now, a huge proportion of our immune systems are actually in our gastrointestinal tract, And so the gut is a hub of the immune system, which it distributes information from the brain, the environment, the diet that we're eating, and it it distributes them throughout the entire body to every cell, to every organ. And then all these systems that are essential for our lives and health are packaged right there in our intestines. So since roughly 75% of The immune system resides in the gut's wall, 75%. That's a lot. We are in a position to reverse disease trends once we can understand the influence that this circular feedback, how it loops inside all of us. So um, neurologist uh, Dr. David Perlmutter has written that in the past, the brain was considered separate from other body parts. But the reality is the brain's function is intimately dependent on output provided by the gut's microbiome. And it might seem like a surprise, but the bugs that are flying around in our gut are changing the expression of our genes, which is our genes are our life code, literally moment by moment. So this knowledge is very empowering because it means that we can leverage the information to positively affect the health of the brain, the heart, and other organs. We can increase our bone density, and we can even deal with injuries or irritations or even some traumas. So how can we optimize our um, microbiotic health? Well, fortunately, a microbiome science emerges Um, Health experts agree on recommendations that, if implemented, are going to improve the gut-to-brain microbiome network, and it'll also make us feel happier and healthier. So we can optimize the health of our um, our, our microbial ecosystem in the gut through diet and also through lifestyle. And that doesn't only feed the gut microbes, but contributes to their resilience of other systems that are housed there. Because like in any ecosystem, diversity is a key determinant of its ability to resist stress, um, disease, and infections. So it's also emphasized by the specialists that emotions play out in the theater of the guts as well. So stress Adverse childhood experiences and trauma of any kind can affect the health of one's um, microbiome. Now, the advice is to prioritize disease prevention by creating balance in your life through stress reduction and also using mind-body approaches. Uh, They also have, uh, it's also been weighed in, research has been weighed in, by uh, certified doctors of natural medicine and clinical nutritionists who offered some practical ways to improve the uh, microbiome diversity and ecosystems by using food and lifestyle as medicine. So you wanna make sure that you're eating a variety of organic fruits and vegetables. You wanna avoid processed foods. You wanna increase your daily exposure to healthy soil-based organisms. And what that means is You want to get outside more. You want to, you know, be in with trees and grass and plants. It's, you know, that that, um, forest bathing that I talk about all the time. So digestive health is really where our health begins because we are relying on our gut to absorb vitamins and nutrients and even our hormones and moods are related to the gut. So we need to shift our mentality towards food as medicine. And start shopping and buying more organic foods and products because um, they're going to have the most nutrition for us. So, here are a few food factors. Get to know your body. I mean, there's no one-size-fits-all, no matter what. So, when somebody is, a friend is doing a diet, it may not be the right one for you. So you want to kind of figure out what you, the bugs in your gut like and what they really need. So if you can try a largely plant-based diet, such as the Mediterranean diet, that is really a healthy diet. It's mostly plants and, um, and vegetables and some fish, and that is, that is going to be really, really good for you. You want to eat a variety of organic fruits and vegetables. You want to avoid refined sugars and all processed foods if possible, and any hydro hydrogenated uh, fat. So, in other words, butter. You could have a little bit, but anything that gets hard, like when you cook bacon and then the bacon the bacon um, fat gets hard, all that is bad for you. So, you want to eliminate high fructose corn syrup. Um, Add more fiber to your diet. And when you want a fat, you should have a healthy fat like olive oil. So instead of slathering butter on your bread, put some olive oil on it. And then uh, if you could choose some fermented foods because they're so rich in probiotics. So you would like to do some yogurt, sauerkraut, uh, kombucha, all of that is good. And of course, drink plenty of water. Um, I like to drink, especially in the winter, just lots of tea, and I make my own uh, teas from from herbs and um, fruit and, you know, lemons and lemon leaves and rosemary and all kinds of things. And then you might want to eliminate, I mean, eliminate gluten and just see if your symptoms get better. So, that is just something to improve your health. And again... Um, just limit some of those foods like trans fats, sugary foods, refined grain products, and other high glycemic load carbohydrates. They need to be limited because they're associated with weight gain and risk of diabetes, et cetera. Well, when we come back from break, uh, Diane Macedo will be with us. She is the author of The Sleep Fix, and she has done um, a lot of research for to give us these practical, proven, and surprising solutions for insomnia, snoring, shift work, and more. She's an ABC News uh, anchor, and I can understand why she would have a problem sleeping with those kind of hours. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be back shortly, and we hope you stay with us. Be the
2: star you are, the star
3: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
4: Get autographed copies of New York Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best sell with Be the Star You Are, 99 gifts, and Be the Star You Are for teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925 377 STAR. 925 377 STAR. 925 377 STAR. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach Cynthia Bryan will bring her energetic expertise 925-377-STAR and visit www.cynthiabryan.com When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com Are you a teenager with lots to say, but no one to talk to? Let your creativity explode and your voice be heard on the radio program Express Yourself, a show by teens, for teens, and about teens. No topic is off limits as you connect with teens with attitude. Check out Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel. And join our global community where teens talk and the world listens, www.btsya.com. You can. Express yourself. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com
0: forward slash Voice America. It's Power Time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryant. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling. Well,
1: we are so happy that you have stayed with us. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style Be the Star You Are. And we are coming to you live on the Voice America Network. This is the empowerment channel where we love to give you information that is going to improve your life. And that's exactly what's going to happen right now because our guest. Today is ABC News anchor and correspondent Diane Macedo, who she works for ABC News. She's appeared on Good Morning America, World News Tonight, Nightline, World News Now, America This Morning, and many, many news reports. And she has written this very, very comprehensive book called The Sleep Fix Practical, Proven, and Surprising Solutions for Insomnia, Snoring, Shift Work, and More. And she is a, uh, a recent new mother, so she knows how hard it is to get a good night's sleep. Welcome, Diane, to Star Style. Be the star you are.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me, Cynthia. Between the work schedule and the babies, I've had a lot of experience with sleep. Uh, yeah, I
1: think so. I think so. I know, you know, especially when you're writing about your work schedule and how you were working during, you know, at all hours of the night and having that night. The, the night stuff, it really gets your uh, circadian rhythms off. When we're While people are sleeping, you have to be awake. And then, you know, you were being called in for all kinds of photo shoots or s- other stories, et cetera. Give us a little bit of background on, you know, what really made you decide that you needed to write a book because you weren't getting the answers you needed for your own sleep cycles.
3: Well, you know, as you mentioned, I spent years having difficulty sleeping. And for a while, I just kind of dismissed it as, well, that's just the way I am. And then I dismissed it as, well, it's just because I have this work schedule. And, and in fairness, every time I asked for advice from anyone I thought might know better than, than I did, they would say, oh, well, you're going to have to quit your job if you ever want to sleep well again. I know. Oh, isn't that, that is like the, the,
1: the craziest uh, response, right? Because so many people that work shift, I mean, you can't quit your job. Usually you exactly. can't, unless you've got something I, else lined up. And you
3: loved your job. I, exactly. I loved my job. And I just found a general idea that anybody who works, you know, a bad shift is going to be able to quit to be impossible. I mean, what if you need surgery in the middle of the night? Do you expect to hear, sorry, we don't have any surgeons right now because nobody right. works they're the all sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there are lots of people every single day who have to work a shift that doesn't go in accordance with their circadian rhythm. And this doesn't just apply to overnight workers. And this is one of the things I learned once I took this deep dive is, you know, if, whether you are a morning person or whether you are a night owl is ingrained in your biology. And if you are a night owl, for example, who works, quote unquote, normal hours, you are still going to have this discrepancy between your circadian rhythm and the time that you have to wake up and go to sleep in order to be able to do your job. And the same the other way around. If you're a really morning-oriented person and you work a more evening-style shift, you might not consider that shift work, but the result is the same. All of these people that we just described are essentially jet-lagged every single day.
1: You and know, I was I so happy, at, Diane, sorry, that you wrote this chapter called Chronotypes, and you talked about chronotype one was the early bird, the morning type, and then the, uh, chronotype two was the hummingbird intermediate, and then number three was a night owl, because I grew up on a farm, and uh, we had to get up at 5 or 5.30 every morning, and my dad nicknamed me Princess, not because I was trying to be a princess, it's because I couldn't wake up. I just, yeah. I had the hardest time in the morning and it wasn't until my kids actually went to college <laughs> and I realized that I didn't have to wake up I- that early anymore. Um, that I, and I'm a night owl. I am definitely a night owl. So I guess I was jet lagged for, you know, most of my life.
3: <laughs> well, and you know, and it's unfortunate because I think people will often get the reputation of being lazy or in your case, dad called you a princess when it's really, again, ingrained in your biology. Now, I looked at this from the perspective of a night shift worker and sort of, you know, did the math. That was a shift that no matter what your chronotype, you're not going to be perfectly aligned to. But I started thinking about it and thinking, you know, this is the same thing as jet lag. Those are all circadian rhythm disorders, just like jet lag is. But when we travel, we do eventually adjust. Why? Because of when we see light, when we see dark, what time we eat, what time we exercise, and what time we wake up and go to sleep. So why can't you apply the same thing to try to adjust your circadian rhythm to your work schedule? And the answer is you can. And even if this doesn't, isn't the exact same perfect scenario as if you could adjust your schedule to your circadian rhythm, it's at least a much more realistic one. It's a practical one. Anyone can do it. And you can do it without quitting your job. And so for me, putting both these kind of circadian rhythm tips into play and then also dealing with insomnia, which I also had, which I classify as a different problem entirely, I was able to, within three weeks, of taking this deep dive and starting to read academic textbooks and, and books written by doctors instead of just trying all your typical listicle sleep tips. Once I started doing that stuff, I was able to start getting a full quote-unquote night sleep in the middle of the day while working the overnight shift. And so I just kind of thought, you know, if this stuff is this effective and it's totally doable, why isn't anybody talking about this? And so I finally decided to write the book that I wish had existed when I was struggling. Right,
1: because you're so right. There's so much written about sleep, and it's always said, you know, make your room at what, 62 to 65 <laughs> degrees. Make uh, make sure that everything is dark. And I really laughed in your chapters when you were talking an, about how you would actually, or have relatives would tape up garbage bags to yes. the window so it would be dark. But, you know, it's true. It's like there's all these things that they say, you know, um, skip the salty snacks so you don't have to get up to urinate, uh, at all of that. Uh, but the reality is is that you really consulted, interviewed, read medical information and scientific studies. And although you're not a doctor, you did do that deep dive. And that's what I wanted to make clear to our listeners is that this isn't fluff. You really did uh, do the work. You did the investigation to find out what is going to work.
3: Yeah, these are not a bunch of solutions that just happen to work for me. These are solutions based on input from experts all across sleep science. And that includes both researchers and also clinicians. And that last part is important because often we give a lot of attention in media to the research and this new study came out and says this, that, and the other thing. But sometimes what happens in a lab is very different than what happens in the real world. And so some of the recommendations that make it to the surface of the headlines that come out of a lab, when you talk to sleep clinicians who work with people every single day, they have a very different result and a very different set of recommendations. So I kind of wanted to put this all together like one big sleep puzzle so that we could sort the facts from the fiction. And that's essentially what the sleep fix is. And not just about insomnia, but all types of sleep disorders that have a lot of misconceptions that go along with them. Well, I'm
1: glad you brought that up about insomnia and sleep disorders, because so many people who feel that they have textbook insomnia might have another sleep disorder. And so you might be treating the wrong thing. They might have sleep apnea. Could you address that a bit? Because you actually talked about how for a while you were taking Ambien until you realized, hey, this isn't the root. This isn't working. And if you have a sleep disorder, it's very different than just having insomnia.
3: Well, insomnia is a sleep disorder. And I think that's another misconception that people think, oh, it's insomnia. And so then they don't go ahead and get treated, right? And so, you know, insomnia, first of all, even if that is, quote unquote, all you have, that's still something that is treatable and fixable. You don't just have to live with that, which so many people with insomnia do think. But your point is spot on in that a lot of us, Assume if we're not sleeping well, we must have insomnia. And there are a lot of disorders that are very easily confused for insomnia, which is problematic on on several levels. But the first being that typically, if you go to your primary care physician and you complain about symptoms that sound like insomnia, they will more often than not prescribe you a sleeping pill, which is what happened to me. Now, I luckily did not have sleep apnea. But sleep apnea happens to be one of many different conditions that can be easily confused for insomnia. And if you take a sleeping pill while under, and you have sleep apnea, the sleeping pill will actually make the apnea worse. So in many cases, doctors are trying to help their patients with these pills and they may actually be doing more harm than good. So that's just one example of many of why I think The key to starting this whole thing is to figure out what is keeping you awake. To find the best sleep solutions for you, you have to first figure out that piece of the puzzle because this idea that, oh, if everybody just does these 10 things, we'll all sleep well or sleep better is not true. It's all really going to hinge on what your actual problem is. And the solutions for someone who has sleep apnea are completely different from someone who has insomnia and often very different from someone who has a circadian rhythm disorder, which is why I actually separate that out as a different condition from insomnia instead of grouping them together, as is often the case. And and there, again, are several other things on that list. Those are just some of the more common ones that come to mind. But chapter one of the book is focused on that because once you go down that path and you kind of get a broad knowledge of what these different conditions, common conditions are, and, and how they manifest, and then you learn a few tricks from the book of how to investigate this within yourself and figure out what your problem is, you can then start to think, oh, yeah, that's me. That sounds like what I do. Yes, that's spot on. And now you can pick what the best path is to move forward on because what we will often do is kind of we try all of the things. And the, I think there's this misconception that people who have sleep problems have horrible sleep habits. But when you talk to clinicians, they will often tell you the opposite, that their typical insomnia patient actually comes in saying they have perfect sleep habits. It's, you know, I don't know why I'm not sleeping. I quit caffeine. I gave up all my screen time before three hours of bed. I don't look at any screens. I stop eating at least two hours before bed. I do this and the other thing. I'm drinking the teas. I'm taking the bath. I'm doing whatever. And I can't sleep. And these clinicians tell me, you know, when I hear that, it's a red flag. And I immediately know this person at the very least has insomnia and maybe something else, but at the very least has insomnia because we're working and thinking and worrying so much about our sleep that it's actually those thoughts and worries that are keeping us awake. Mm -hmm. And so you can go down the rabbit hole of quitting caffeine and doing all of these things. And yes, individually, they may be good for sleep. But as a whole, they may create more of a problem for you, particularly if you're picking the things that aren't actually the root cause of your problem. So I feel well, like because if you you're focusing, the you're focusing the on the cause. fact that
1: you think you're not sleeping. So which causes you not to sleep because your brain is in hyperactivity, just focusing on that negative. It, you know, it, it is like it's on a loop.
3: It's on a loop. Yes. But if you can focus, if you know, if that is your problem, the racing mind, then you can start there. If your problem is your body clock and the hours, then you can start there. If your problem is a breathing problem, you can start there. And now you start getting more bang for your buck where you start, you try a few different things and they start to work and you start to sleep better. And now you start to feel better both mentally and physically. And that then starts you back on a positive cycle where sleep improvement begets sleep improvement, instead of throwing everything at the kitchen sink and then feeling frustrated that nothing's Mm -hmm, working
1: for mm -hmm. you. And that's why it's really important that you have to identify the problem and you put that right in part one. If you're just joining us, we are talking about the book, The Sleep Fix by Diane Macedo. She is an ABC News anchor, and she has just written a very comprehensive book that could help you figure out how to sleep better or why you're not sleeping, at least to get the help that you need. You know, one of the things that you talk about in the book is that not everybody needs that eight hours of sleep. Uh, let's look at that because it seems that no matter where you turn, uh, you know, turn the page, it's always everybody needs seven to nine hours. And if you're not getting that, it's not going to work. Well, you know, I mean, for years, I only lived on three or four um, And it seemed okay. I can't do it now, but for a long time, it was like that. So let's talk about the
3: amount of sleep that you need. So the National Sleep Foundation guidelines are most adults will need somewhere between seven to nine. And for some, anywhere between five and 11 may be appropriate. Now, I want to make clear, that doesn't mean you can function On five hours, it means some people actually, that's the amount of sleep that they need to feel great. And so the reason why that's important is we all know the negative effects of not getting enough sleep, but nobody talks about the flip side of what if you are a six hour person, which many people are, and you're trying to force yourself to get eight hours of sleep because you've heard about the quote unquote recommended eight hours and all of the, you know, doom and gloom that surrounds that. The, the answer is you can give yourself insomnia because the more time we speak o- spend awake in bed, the more our brain starts to associate bed as the place where we stay awake and worry. And mm. soon enough, bed becomes a cue for that. So you're dozing off on the couch. The second you lay in bed, you're suddenly wide awake in bed. It's not because you caught a second wind. It's because your brain is now doing what you have taught it to do. It's preparing to stay awake and worry for the rest of the night. And so part of the, that's part of the reason why I think the eight hour myth is so important, but also there are a lot of people right now walking around with sleep disorders like sleep apnea, like PLMD, like narcolepsy who think, well, I couldn't possibly have a sleep disorder because I got a full eight hours of sleep. And what they don't realize is those eight hours of sleep were interrupted all night long. So they're actually severely sleep deprived, but assume they must be fine because they got a certain amount. So it has to be, We have to stop focusing so much on the amount of sleep and focus on how we feel. If you feel fine most of the day and your energy levels are good, then you're probably getting enough sleep. And if you feel sleepy all day long, if you're falling asleep every time you sit down in a waiting room or sit down to watch TV even in the daytime, then there's something wrong. And if you're spending enough time in bed, it's probably because something's interrupting your sleep and you need to figure out what's best.
1: And what about getting uh, sunlight, you know, getting outside like first thing in the morning so that your circadian rhythm wakes up and knows that it's, it's time to wake up if that's the time you're supposed to wake up? Uh, because there is that whole idea of spending more time in nature, especially this past year or these past almost two years now with the pandemic is people have been, Told, let's get outside a, a bit more, get some fresh air, get some, you know, whatever, some sunlight. So um, I loved in your book how you talked about that uh, do-it-yourself uh, screen that you that you can carry with you and for hotels or whatever, you know, a blackout. So that was really great. So could you talk about the
3: difference with light and dark? Sure. The most powerful tool for your circadian rhythm is are light and dark. That combination. When your eyes see light, they communicate to the brain that it's morning, it's wake-up time, it's daytime, it's time to be awake. And when we see darkness, the opposite. It communicates to the brain it's nighttime, it's either time to sleep or time to prepare for sleep. And that's the most powerful tool in both directions. So if you're trying to adjust to a work schedule that doesn't quite align with your circadian rhythm, that can be the most powerful first step for you to do. And you talk about, you know, getting sunlight and and whatnot. That is the ideal, but it's not always the most practical because one, if you're a shift worker, you may be waking up when there is no sun out. And two... Even those of us who wake up during quote unquote normal hours, especially if you're someone who struggles to wake up, which you will be if you're having a circadian rhythm disorder or insomnia, you probably don't have an extra 30 minutes to just hang out outside and sunbathe. So i got around this by getting a light therapy lamp and putting it in my bathroom. I turn it on. Even I, I still do it. I turn it on when I brush my teeth and wash my face and get ready, do my makeup, that kind of thing. You can turn it on while you're shaving, whatever. Getting that bright light first thing in the morning will help to communicate to your brain that it's time to be awake. And that makes sure you not only get wake signals at the right time, but it also then helps you get sleep signals at the right time so you can fall asleep at a decent hour to get enough sleep. And the same with getting darkness in the few hours leading up to your bedtime. That communicates to your brain that, okay, it's now evening time. It's time to power down. It's time to get ready for sleep, and that can also help you not only fall asleep earlier but start getting those wake signals at the right time as well.
1: Well, it's such a fascinating book, and you go into so many details that I hadn't ever really thought about. And I also, we didn't, uh, we're at the end of our time, and but we didn't talk about snoring, but I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle as well and what snoring implicates, but you'll have to pick up a copy of the book to find out the answers or solutions to that. The name of the book is The Sleep Fix. The website is thesleepfixbook.com. The author is Diane Macedo, M-A-C-E-D-O. Diane, I'm so glad that your um, sleep is changing, and I know it's going to be different now with a newborn, but the best thing is having a baby, isn't it? Isn't it just the most exciting time, although you are probably (laughs) (laughs) sleep-deprived?
3: A little bit, but now I'm sleep-deprived because either my three-year-old or my two-month-old needs me and not because I can't sleep, and I will take that over insomnia any day. Exactly,
1: exactly. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Again, the name of the book is The Sleep Fix the website is the sleepfixbook.com so this would make a great gift for anybody on your your holiday list because i think that uh, i what were the statistics 30% of the world or of americans are having some kind of sleep issue at the moment and i wouldn't doubt that for a second so no, I... I think i think a lot of people are having that
3: yeah, the number, I mean, and that's, that's just the, the stats for insomnia. So when you look at overall all of the different sleep disorders and conditions, I think it's much, much higher. So uh, so definitely, this is a book that I genuinely think with help, will help, and I'm not just saying that to uh, because I wrote it. But I also want to give a heads up that we're actually sold out of the hard copies on Amazon. So I want to reassure everybody that they are available on other retailers like Barnes & Noble, and it is also available on e and on audiobook, in case you want to get it as a gift for someone, and you're under, you know, and, and you're you're under the gun, don't despair. We're restocking Amazon ASAP, but you can still get it elsewhere as well.
1: Well, that's good to know. Okay, so check out thesleepfixbook.com. The name of the book, The Sleep Fix, and you heard all the different ways. Diane, thanks so much for coming on Star Style. Be the star you are. We really appreciated it, and we wish you a very happy holiday and restful. Um, Time and a great New Year.
3: So great to talk to you, Cynthia. Thank you, and same to you.
1: Thank you. When we come back from break, we'll have more here, so stay with us. We'll have some holiday cheer, too. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. We'll be right
2: back. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you
3: are. Change your world change your life voiceamericaempowerment.com
4: business bites here's cynthia bryan
1: we often judge the wealth of others by what we see is someone driving a hundred thousand dollar vehicle or a mini car are they living in a mansion or a tent this is the information we have in front of us as we can't see their bank accounts or their brokerage statements Outward appearances is all we have to gauge their financial success. But the truth is wealth is probably what you don't see. Wealth is the fancy cars that were not purchased, the diamond rings that were not bought, the Rolexes that are not worn, and the designer clothes that are not in a closet. In reality, wealth is the financial assets that have not yet been converted into stuff. So think about it, because money matters. You are the star of your own performance. Tune in to Cynthia Bryan at CynthiaBryan.com. That's CynthiaBryan.com.
2: Be the star you are. The star you are.
0: The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376-376, Moraga, California, 94556. bethestarur.org. Dare to care. Now back to the power party. This business of show called. Well,
1: we are back me. and I did not take a nap during the break. I have been sleeping just fine, thank goodness. Um, I really enjoy sleeping <laughs> these days and I think it is so important. So I'm really glad that we had Diane on to talk about uh, the sleep fix and you'll find just really a lot of good information in there. So I wanted to talk about uh, being altruistic because are you um, altruistic? If you were truly altruistic, you wouldn't care about you know getting something you when you give something, getting something in return. So you might want to consider that the perks of life are really in service to others. You know we have this this saying that has always said it's kind of the paradigm of life or the paradox of life is the more you serve others, the more you serve yourself. So uh, selfless people experience more long-lasting happiness and contentment than those who are more self-centered. And that's according to some French research, although a lot of research has been uh, based on that too. Plus, selfless people are better able to weather life's ups and downs. And that same French study determined that selfless people Also, felt more in harmony with the people and environments around them and with deep personal aspirations. So, that means, in short, your good mood wasn't as affected or dependent on the moods of others. You're just internally happy. So recipients and deliverers of an altruistic act report feeling more positive emotions and fewer negative emotions in the days immediately following the act. Um, And that was published in the Journal of Positive Psychology. And what's more, those on the receiving end of the altruistic act said that they plan to pay it forward in the future and i could just say from being the executive director for going on 24 years now of be the star you are charity and i'm a, a i am a volunteer i'm not a paid employee there are no paid employees this be the star you are is to empower women families and youth through positive media such as this radio show positive words as well as tools for living and we're doing a lot of disaster relief but we, I really have the belief that everyone counts, and what's fascinating to me is how over the years I have felt fulfilled by helping other people live a more fulfilled life, and to me that is where the wealth is. It's, it has its power of its own when you see somebody succeed and you have been able to change their life for the better. So this is uh, why here on Star Style Be The Star You Are, we try to bring you as much information as possible and authors and experts who can expand your life and enhance you and help you just be a better person. And now that it is uh, the end of the year and you're thinking about making a tax deduction or a tax write-off or you need a tax write-off or you just want to be altruistic and give to a charity there are a lot of ways that you can do that you can check charity navigator you can go to um, greatnonprofits.com and you can check on the nonprofits that have five star ratings and read the reviews of what people say about them guidestar is another place that will help you with that and I just always feel that, you know, if you can't donate money, you can donate time. But the important thing is to give to, is to give. It's just very important to give. Um, It'll make you feel better. And that, to me, is always, um, always something that is important, is if you can make others feel better and then, in turn, even though you're not asking for anything in um, in return, it actually comes back right to you. So um, I got a really cute holiday greeting from our newspaper delivery driver. And I do write for a, the newspaper, and this was put in our mailbox. And I thought that this was a really sweet, so I was just going to read it. It says 'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the street you could not hear a sound, not even a beep. The Christmas trees were decorated with lights all aglow, and beautiful presents lay wrapped just below. The kids were fast asleep with dreams of toys in their heads, while Mama and Dada were just relaxing in bed. When a noise came from outside, they thought it was Santa and his sled, but smiled with an amusement when they saw instead. With a thump in the drive and a swoosh in the tube, it was the newspaper carrier delivering the news. You will see us out each and every night, just before the glow of the morning light, before you can turn your light on to see, we round another corner as quick as can be. We twist and turn through each neighborhood, delivering the news, sometimes bad, sometimes good, But as you listen tonight, you will hear your newspaper carrier wishing you a very happy holiday season and a blessed new year. And that was an original um, poem, obviously, a takeoff on the night before Christmas by our newspaper um, carrier. And I thought it was really very, very, uh, very sweet and very appropriate. Now, When um, it comes to gifts for kids, because Be the Star You Are, of course, is all about empowering women, families, and youth. To me, there isn't anything better than giving a book. A book is something that can last a lifetime, and especially if it's a a book that has a lot of either, you know, wonderful stories, it can be fiction, it can be non-fiction, But I know that I have all of my books from when I was a young girl, and I just absolutely love books and read a lot of books uh, every year, every week, actually, a couple of books every week. Um, But it made me become a better writer. And now, as the author of eight books, and I've just finished doing two children's books, so hopefully these will be published soon. I do feel that books are the gift that keeps on giving. Books that I wrote even several years ago are still being uh, purchased and people are telling me how much they mean to them and how much it changed their lives. And that to me is the reward. Um, It's just fantastic when a book can help you. So how do you give kids a boost with books? Well, you can tell a lot from giving a toddler a book. Does she open it? Does she hold it? Does she turn the pages? These actions build early literacy skills that are essential to children's success once they get to school. And parents can model these skills just right from the scar, you know from the start, because parents are their children's first and best teacher. And I really love it when I read, when somebody says, who are your heroes, and, and um, either teenagers or adults say were my parents. And I know for me, my parents were. I was fortunate to have a really uh, great family and great parents. So parents play the biggest role of all, more than early childhood uh, education centers, more than preschools or any school system, and just more than anything else. Children will learn to talk and read when people talk to them and read to them. And even just doing it five or ten minutes a day is just as great. A parent's role in modeling and valuing literacy through home activities is a cornerstone of future successful learning and school progress. It is so important, the interaction between children and parents, because when they are engaged in literary activities... What you're doing is strengthening and building those blocks, those those, uh, connections that facilitate the development of language, reading, and writing skills. I know that I became a writer because I loved reading and I was soaking it up so much. So literacy and health are also interconnected. About one third of children that enter kindergarten today lack the language skills that they need to learn to read. And while children can catch up, those who don't catch up by third grade, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, often struggle throughout school and sometimes beyond that. So this research is showing that people with low literacy skills, they have less knowledge about disease and preventative health than those with stronger literacy skills. And that means that higher rates of hospitalization more difficulty managing chronic health problems like diabetes or asthma, or even just poor health overall. So it's so important that kids learn to read young. I mean, just think about having to read a prescription if you had to have a prescription. So, reading starts right away. The first few months and years of life is a wonderful opportunity to build connections in children's brains. And you know, it's so fun to cuddle with your baby and open just one of those. You know, the hard cardboard books with one word on them and just ask questions and explain what's going on and let the baby giggle. And if your infant decides that she's more interested in nibbling the pages and hearing a story, that's OK. That's typical for a baby. It's the way that they explore a book. It's kind of them like they're being researchers, they're scientists, they're tasting everything. So if dropping the book or turning it over or looking at it upside down or just looking at the pictures is what they want to do, it's okay. You're interacting with them. Because reading is more about that interaction than statically saying words out loud. So from the moment that a child can form a sentence, children can be actively engaged in the process. So you might just read the title of the book. Show some pictures and then ask your child, what do you think about that? What do you think is going (gasps) to happen? Oh, what is that animal? You know, what is the sound that the pig makes? Whatever it is. So all of these things are going to help children learn to read and it's going to create a sense of wonder. So give children a book for Christmas. And for adults, books are also a a wonderful, wonderful gift. Well, until next week, uh, I want to thank you so much for being here on Star Style. Be the star you are with me. For more information about Be the Star You Are charity, and if you'd like to make a donation to Be the Star You Are as a tax deduction for the end of the year, or to give as a, a gift, as a, in memory of a friend, or as a gift for a friend, visit are.org. For more information about Star Style Productions, you can visit CynthiaBryan.com. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate you, because I want you to see beyond your physical self and know you already are the star that you have dreamed of becoming. You just need to be it. So cherish the past, dream of the future, but celebrate today because that today, this moment, is all we have. And next Wednesday, we will celebrate again, but until then, remember that love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. So I hope you're smiling a lot this holiday season. I am Cynthia Bryan. I thank you and encourage you to be the star you are. Be your unapologetically authentic self. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference and get ready to celebrate a beautiful Christmas, a healthy Christmas and hopefully be with family, friends and other loved ones and until next Wednesday 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific Ciao for now
2: Be the star you the star you